All right. Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. We are so glad you're here. We're so glad to see you, to have you with us. Thank you so much for taking time on a holiday weekend to join. We know there's also been lots of sickness everywhere. So thank you for taking the time to come out and celebrate Christmas together with your church family. We are so excited to have you here. If it's your first time, we especially want to welcome you for being here. If you didn't already, we have a gift for you to thank you for being here with us. Um, you just, if, if you you got a welcome or a worship guide when you came in. You fill that out. Take that to the hub on your way out. Just fill it out with what you're comfortable with. Um, for everyone, we would love for you to fill out prayer requests. We pray over those all week, uh, all week long through the week. And on Sunday mornings, we have a prayer service every single Sunday morning at nine o'clock. Also invite you to join us for that. But we are so uh, blessed and thankful to have all of you with us, no matter where you're coming from, how involved in church you are. None of that matters today. We're just so glad to have the family of God together and all of our guests with us. I also just wanted to note that um, last week we were able to give away, I think we were able to bless, I think the number was something like 19 families through our angel tree. We actually were able to help send stockings to a classroom at the local middle school uh, full of goodies. We were also able to have a toy giveaway for people and bless a whole lot of families. It was something like 53 plus kids that were uh, blessed through this outreach we were able to do. So thank you so much for your generosity, for your giving, for serving. Thank you so much for doing that. What you give to Legacy all throughout the year helps us be able to do those things and make those connections. Serving on the serve team helps us be able to have the manpower to pull things like this off. So thank you so much for just living generously. That really is what this season is all about. And so we're always excited to be able to do a little bit extra in December. Well, I have a somewhat interesting Christmas message prepared for you today. It's a little bit different, but I think you're going to see where it ties in. But my first question, for you today is this. How many of you guys love a good apocalyptic thriller movie or TV show? Anybody? Anybody? You like the apocalypse? Like the end is nigh and everyone's trying to figure it out and we're trying to hoard water and we scour all of the supermarkets for canned vegetables and stuff like it's exciting, right? And then you're always like, but what actually caused the zombie disease that everyone has? And no one answers the question. That's all I want to know is where did it start, right? There's like these day after tomorrow movies. Isn't that, a, that's a, not a Christmas movie, but it is like an apocalyptic thriller movie. Then there's like The Walking Dead was on TV for ages and ages, and maybe it still even is. I don't even know. It's got like this huge following. But we're like somehow obsessed with the apocalypse and the end of the world, right? We are somehow obsessed with the apocalypse, but yet we're completely disconnected from the reality of it at the same time. Like, yes, eventually... There is going to come a time where time is done, right? There is going to be an end of the world. We believe that as Christians. And there, we have like preppers, people who prep everything. They have a bunker. They have like 10 years worth of canned goods and water saved up and like emergency kits galore, like probably too many for how many people there are in their house. And it's just like a point of entertainment. I think there's a TV show just about preppers, right? There's like all of these things where you just get entertained by it. But for some reason, we don't think it's really going to happen or at least we don't live like it's really going to happen. We don't believe it enough to change anything about how we live. It's too abstract. We avoid it. And I'm not saying you need to go get 10 million gallons of water and shove it in your basement. That's not what I'm suggesting, right? I'm just trying to point out we have this obsession in our culture with the end of the world, 
And yet the way we live isn't any different, even though we might think it's coming or we're obsessed. It's like we're obsessed with it for entertainment, but not to change the way we live at all. Or we're way too obsessed with it changing the way we live and we have like a basement full of canned goods and water, right? (laughs) So we have all of these different things. But what if the end of the world isn't something we have to prep for or be afraid, but is something that we can be excited for? and look forward to. What if, right? What if? Today I want to talk to you about if we live ready for Jesus's return, then his return is something to be excited about. Not to be afraid of, not to fear, not even that we have to do all kinds of prepper prepping for, right? But maybe a different kind. Jesus's return is something that we have to look forward to. So why in the world am I talking about the apocalypse on Christmas? (laughs) Well, let me answer that for you. The reason I'm talking about the apocalypse on Christmas is one, because we are just finishing this three-part series, A Jesus Carol, right? And we're talking about the Jesus of Christmas past, when he came, what we think about on Christmas, right? The baby Jesus, then Jesus of Christmas present, the spirit of Jesus that he gave to us and we have right now, we talked about last week. And then today is the Jesus of Christmas future. Jesus came as a baby over 2,000 years ago, but the good news is he's coming back. He's going to come back again to be with us. So we, this whole series is this idea of Emmanuel. Jesus came to be God with us. And even though he bit back to heaven and he's at the right hand of the Father God in heaven now, he gave us the Holy Spirit to still be God with us, in us, through us, like what Pastor Kyle talked about last week. And then today he's coming back in the future to still be God with us again, but in a new world, in a new way. And so we want to talk about this today because the whole point of leading up into Christmas, what many call Advent season, the weeks leading up to it, you know, Advent calendars, they're not just so you can pull out a new present every single day, right? It's to look forward to Jesus coming. And we remember what it was like for the people in that day to look forward to Jesus coming and to want his coming and to be waiting for his coming. And it's a reminder for us today to still be waiting for his coming and looking forward to his coming and being excited for his second coming because he's coming back again. So let's read Matthew 7. If you want to open your Bibles with me, we're going to be in Matthew 7, starting in verse 21. Not everyone who calls out to me, this is Jesus, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Really uplifting Christmas verse to start it off with, right? Really uplifting. But it should be. If you know Jesus, that's great because he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. But it's also something to let us know that we need to get ready for him. The point of this verse is being a good person doesn't cut it. Good deeds don't cut it. They cast out demons. They visited people in prisons. (coughs) They helped serve the poor. And yet he still said, get away from me. I never knew you. Could I have that? My hot chocolate, please. Sorry, I'm recovering from a two-week-long cold. All right. So being a good person doesn't cut it. They did all the good things, and he still said, I never knew you. That word knew 
the original language is gnosko. It's a fun word to say. Everyone say it with me. One, two, three. Gnosko. Yes, it's very fun to say. It means no, but it's also the word used in Genesis, I think chapter four, where it says, Adam lay with his wife Eve, and he knew her, and they conceived a child. So you get a little bit of an idea of what the gnosko means, right? It's not it's not necessarily that kind of an intimate term, but it is a very intimate term, as in the type of relationship God wants to have with you is the closest type of relationship that can happen. It's even closer than what can happen between a husband and a wife, but it's represented in that way. Being a good person is not what it's about. It's about having a loving, intimate relationship with Jesus. So again, why the apocalypse on Christmas? This series is all about Emmanuel, God with us, now, then, and in the future. Jesus spent two chapters on his coming back to be with us in the Bible, in the Gospels. He spent two chapters, an entire book of the Bible, Revelation, about him coming back. And many of the major prophets in the Old Testament had prophecies and visions about Jesus coming back. And yet it's something we don't talk about hardly at all in the church anymore. And so we need to talk about, as we think about the first time Jesus came, let's think about what all this means for the next time he comes. Jesus came at Christmas then, so that we could have a loving relationship with him today and be with him forever. That's the then, now, and the future of it all. Jesus came at Christmas then so that we could have a loving relationship with him today and be with him forever. See, we need to believe this truth with our lives. I'm not talking about head knowledge. Like, yes, I believe that is a fact. That is something that I was taught in Sunday school, and therefore it must be true. Yes, Jesus will come again. No, we need to believe this with our lives, that King Jesus is coming back again so that we're ready. Ultimately, everything rises and falls on this truth. Ultimately, everything rises and falls on how well, how much, how transformative we believe that Jesus is coming back and how we live it out. So how do we do this? If we believe it, okay, how do I believe this with my life? How do we believe this? What do I need to do that's different than what I'm already doing? I don't want to, if you say not to freak out about it, not to fill up my basement with food to get ready, what is it that I'm supposed to do to get ready? Well, Jesus lets us know. So let's find out what Jesus says. Number one today, how to get ready for Jesus. Wait for Jesus actively. If you're taking notes, write this down. Wait for Jesus actively. Matthew 25, verse 31. Jesus is talking about his own second coming. He says this, But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then we will sit upon, he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates sheep's, sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry. This is going to look similar to what we just read. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, 
Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brother and sisters, you were doing it to me. So we have a list of good works, right? And this time it worked out for them. So what's the difference? Let's keep reading. Then the king turns to those on his left and say, away with you cursed ones into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. Side note, hell was not prepared for you. Hell was not prepared for people. Hell was originated for Satan and his demons. So it's not for you. God is for you. He doesn't want you there, right? So let's jump into this. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, did, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth. When you refuse to help the least of my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. So the first passage that we read says that it's not just about the good deeds. It's about how well you know him. Well, once you know him, you want to serve and love on those around you. The more you love Jesus, the more you love the world the way Jesus does. And therefore, as we wait, he calls us to serve others. Because as we serve others, it's the same as serving him. I heard someone give this illustration one time. What does a waiter at a restaurant do? When they wait on you, they're serving you, right? Called a waiter, could be called a server. But as they're waiting on you, so as we wait on the Lord, what are we to do? As we wait, we are to serve. We are to serve him. And how's the best way to serve him that he calls us to serve him is to serve the people that he loves. To serve in the way that he served when he was here. So number one today is wait for Jesus actively. Wait for Jesus actively. Number two Write this down, be ready for Jesus' return. This is like number one main point that Jesus said every time he was talking about this, every time in Revelation, but especially when Jesus talked about it when he was here on this earth, he said, be ready. Everything he had to say about his second coming revolved around this truth. Be ready for Jesus' return. So how do we be ready? I'm gonna have sub points under this one because Jesus talked about it a lot. So to be ready for Jesus' return, we have to live ready live ready. I mean, you're waking up, you're going to sleep, you're living the day. I heard someone say recently, I was reading a book and this author said that really what matters, if we want to say our life matters, we have to make sure our day matters because our days are our life. Each day we live adds up to the sum of our life, right? It's the sum of our days that equals our life. So we've got to live ready. Jesus talked about it this way. He said, when the son of man talking about himself returns, it will be like it was in Noah's days. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. Basically he's saying, Hey, Noah was telling people the flood was coming and no one believed him. So they just kept living like nothing was changed right? They just kept living like nothing was going to happen. They didn't believe it. They thought he was crazy. They weren't living ready. They weren't preparing like Noah was. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. 
That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. He's saying, you won't know what's happening. You'll be going about your daily business. You'll be cooking. You'll be in the kitchen. You'll be preparing a meal. You'll be at work, working with your coworker, working with your buddy. And all of a sudden, one of you's gone and one of you's not. All of a sudden. That's how it's going to happen. So you too, he says, must keep watch for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. We don't know. Jesus said when he was here on earth, even I don't know the day or the hour of my return. Only God the Father knows. So we don't know when it's going to happen. Understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. We wouldn't have any burglaries if we all knew when it was going to happen, right? That would defeat the purpose. <coughs> so you must also be ready all the time for the Son of Man will come when least expected. He then tells this story, a faithful, sensible servant is one who the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household and servants and feeding them. So now he's bringing in this idea of waiting on people, of serving people while we wait that we would have the heart of a servant. If the master returns, Jesus coming back, and finds that his servant, all of us, have done a good job, there will be a reward, like maybe getting to go to heaven. <laughs> I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. But what if the servant is evil and think my master won't be back for a while, and then begins beating the other servants, partying and getting drunk? Not going to look good when Jesus comes back on us, right? Now, my main point of all this is be excited for Jesus' return. This is just how to get ready for it in this part of it. But I want to tell you something. It's really important for me that you know we're not to be afraid. But I want you to know how to live in a way where you can be excited for it. Because if you're living in a way that you wouldn't want Jesus coming back on you right about this moment, then you're going to be afraid. And that's a little bit healthy, but I don't want you living that way. Because you know what? I grew up terrified. I grew up watching all the Left Behind movies, reading all the Left Behind for teen books, watching all the Thief in the Night. Has anyone seen the Thief in the Night movies? I mean, those are like 1970s. You watched people get their, there are children in the room and it's family East Christmas service, but they're like, you watched it. You know what I'm saying? It was intense. And I was constantly, constantly like, Jesus, please forgive me. Jesus, please forgive me. Jesus, please forgive me. All the time. I mean, I was like playing cards and I'd like discard wrong or something. Jesus, please forgive me. I was terrified. Jesus would come back before I had the chance to ask for forgiveness for something. That is not what he's about. He knows our heart. He's looking at our heart. But we need to live ready for him, right? It's not about living as if he's not coming back. It's about living like he's coming back and continually walking in a heart of repentance as we make mistakes, as we slip up. But I don't want anyone feeling like they have to compulsively ask for forgiveness at all times and be perfect or else you're not making it to heaven if Jesus comes back tonight, right? So I want you to know this. It's important. It's important to live ready for Jesus, but to not live in fear. Just live ready for him because you love him and you're constantly working to do what you can to show that love to him and the people around, just like you would in any loving relationship. I'm not going to be perfect. I'm going to snap at you sometimes. I'm going to bite your head off every now and then. I'm going to not feel like picking up your cup and taking it to the sink when you don't. I'm not going to feel like that all the time, right? But I'm going to still work towards becoming the person who has a heart of service and grace. 
And that's what we're doing with Jesus. I'm going to still work towards getting to know him better, getting to know him more intimately because he came down as a baby into a stable for this purpose so that we could be with him. The next way to live ready for Jesus is to be guarded. This is another really common line throughout all of the Bible. Second Peter 3, 17 and 18 sums it up really well. He says, you already know these things, dear friends. So you might already know all the stuff I've been telling you, right? So be on guard. Then you will not be carried away by the errors of these wicked people and lose your own secure footing. Rather, you must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All glory to him, both now and forever. Amen. Guess what was happening? There were people who called themselves Christians and pastors and preachers and teachers in the church. And they were sharing a gospel that was not accurate. It was not Jesus teaching. It was a teaching that maybe looked and seemed and smelled and tasted like a Jesus teaching, but it wasn't what Jesus actually taught. We have more of that happening today in our world than ever, because all you have to do is Google something on YouTube and you have about 15 million people's different opinions of what's going on. Some of them are even broadcast television. Some of them are on radio. And I want to tell you, be guarded. One of the main lines throughout the whole New Testament is be guarded against false teachings and false teachers. The best way to do that, know Jesus. The best way to know Jesus, spend time with him, his word, and his people. And when we do that, we're going to be the most guarded for any teachings that would lead us astray. He says this, that we have to be ready. We have to be ready for his return. And to do that, we have to be guarded against people who are saying stuff that looks and smells and tastes like Jesus teaching, but it's not really. And you're not going to know unless you have the Holy Spirit in you helping you understand. And if you know the word of God, a book other than the Bible is just someone else's interpretation of the Bible. They could be right, they could be wrong. I'm not against reading books. I love reading books. I read books all the time. But I always do it through the lens and filter of everything I know the Bible says, right? And I do that because thankfully, I was more than blessed and privileged and above everything that I can understand to have read the Bible through twice before I graduated high school. I read the whole entire Bible through twice before I graduated high school and worked on memorizing the Bible like crazy. So I was blessed with a lot of head knowledge about the Bible that then I worked in my young adulthood into transforming into heart knowledge so that the Holy Spirit can bring it up anytime that he needs to so that when I'm reading books or when I'm listening to preachers and teachers or whatever the case may be, the Lord is like, yeah, that lines up pretty good. That is right there in the word of God. Or eh, that seems a little off. That seems a little off or, oh, no, 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 no. The Bible does not say that, right? I've got these things going on that help me. And I still, even though I've read through the Bible many times, even though I've read either through all of it or through big chunks of it many times, I still am constantly in my Bible trying to ask the Holy Spirit, what do you want to teach me today? Help me to remember this. Draw up the word of God throughout my day so that I'm doing my best in parenting, so I'm doing my best in message prep, so I'm doing my best as a, as a friend, as a daughter, as a wife, that anything I do, you're bringing up. And sometimes it's not fun, right? There's something I told a couple of my friends recently. I was like, I know there's a Bible verse that says this, and I need you guys to let me know how much conviction I should put on it because I don't like feeling convicted about it because the more convicted about it I am, the more I'm going to have to change something in my life that's really hard to change. And I don't really want to put the effort into right now. But the Holy Spirit's like, poke, 
poke, poke that verse, Anna. Remember that verse? You should probably think about that. What do you think that means for you? Huh? huh? He doesn't bat me over the head with it or anything like that. He's like, hey, Anna, what's this verse saying? What do you think you should do with that? And I'm like, I don't know. Maybe nothing. Like, nope, nope, because he's still poking. He's still working on it. We've got to be guarded. We've got to be ready. We've got to know the word of God and the teachings of Jesus and the good news of Jesus and the grace of of Jesus. So I've got to be on guard. And the next thing he says when it comes to uh, knowing Jesus, when it comes to uh, being guarded, when it comes to being ready and living ready for Jesus' return, the next thing he says is pursue peace. We have to pursue peace. That we wouldn't be content with the divisions in the church, whether it's your local church or the Big C Church or the American Church or whatever. We're not content to let there be divisions, but that we strive for unity above all things. The Word of God says that. We strive for unity above all. Unity is so important to Jesus. He spends like two or three, one or two, one and a half to two chapters in a prayer in John 14 and 15, all about Lord, let them be united like you and I are united. You know how united Jesus and the Holy Spirit and God the Father are? So united that it's one God with three persons. Like, so united. And he prays, Lord, let my people, let this church, let my disciples be so united that it's the same as how tight I am with you, with God the Father, with God the Holy Spirit, with God the Son. Let them be that tight. And yet, how much do we invest in that? Not even do we invest, but how much do we try to get over our hurts and our offenses and our different preferences and our miscommunications and our misunderstandings and our differences of opinion? How much do we try to get through that? How much do we make space for unity? Because unity is real hard work. And it's real hard work when the world is working double time through all of the news outlets and social media to let us know what everyone in the world is disagreeing on at all times, right? Constant division. Division sells the news better than anything positive (laughs) because we give it our attention. How would it look if we gave our attention to how do we preserve unity? How do we pursue unity? How do we pursue peace? Second Peter 3, 14. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, he's talking about Jesus coming back in this chapter. While you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found when he comes, that when Jesus comes, he finds you living peaceful lives. If Jesus came back right now, would he find you at peace with the people in your life? That doesn't mean every relationship is completely reconciled, but it means you're not holding bitterness and unforgiveness, that you're not holding offense against someone, but that you've either worked it out between you and God or between you and God and that person, that you've worked it out. He even goes so far as to say in the word of God that many of you are sick and dying because you take communion without having worked out unforgiveness between those in the church. That there are other brothers and sisters that are fighting, that are arguing, that they haven't worked out their bitterness and their unforgiveness. And you take communion anyway, pretending like you're one with the church and with Christ. And so you're sick and dying. Like when I read that, I was like, whoa, (laughs) that's extreme. Do we really believe that? I don't know. It's in the word of God. It's that extreme that we have to seek peace and pursue peace. As far as it depends on you, you can't control the other person, but as far as it depends on you, be found to make every effort living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. That doesn't mean you don't ever mess up. That means when I have the blame, I own it and I apologize for it. And now I don't have the blame anymore. 
because I've given it up to God and I've been forgiven for that person. I've done what it takes on me to live at peace. So dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. So how do we be ready for Jesus' return? We've got to live ready. We are ready for it. I'm ready if he comes back right now. I can confidently say that. If you've given your life to the Lord and you are living in pursuit of him, whether you mess up, whether you have it all perfect, you can confidently say, I'm ready for his coming back right now. I'm ready. We're good to go, right? So we live ready for his return. If that's not you today, you've got some business to do with God and we're gonna have prayer teams available. We have communion available, I would say. Maybe until you figure out what God wants you to think about that scripture I just mentioned, maybe you don't take communion until you work out some unforgiveness, just to be on the healthy side, right? We wanna not be sick and dying. But we've got to be ready for his return so we seek peace. We live ready. We make sure we're living for him and that when we mess up, when we make poor decisions, when we sin, like we will until we're perfected in heaven after his second coming, that we turn around in repentance and move towards him still. So we've got to live ready. We've got to serve others. We've got to be guarded knowing the word of God, knowing who Jesus is and the truth that he gives us. And we've got to pursue peace, to pursue peace and unity above everything else. And my final point today is this number three, be excited for Jesus' return. Be excited for Jesus' return. Now, if you've worked out these other things, if you wait actively, like I'm a waiter in this life, I am serving everyone in this life, right? I'm waiting, I'm serving on others, I'm working on my relationship developing with Jesus as I serve others. If we are ready for his return, if we're living ready, if we are guarded knowing his teachings and making sure we're not being swayed by false teachings, if we are pursuing peace and living in unity, then we don't need to be afraid, we don't need to be worried, we just get to be excited. We just get to look forward to the hope of his coming. We just get to look forward to the lost loved ones that we get to see again, who also live this life for him. We get to look forward to the peace where he wipes away every single tear. We get to look forward to the time where there's no more pain or suffering. And if you're living that way today, choose not to live in fear or anxiety or worry. When you see the things around you that are, I'm pretty sure those are the signs of the times, right? Jesus is coming back soon. Maybe it says wars, rumors of wars, famine, earthquakes, a growth in knowledge, like all of these things. Those are just a few. Most all of these things, except maybe one or two are happening. A lot of them have been happening for 2,000 years because I thought Jesus was coming back before any of the 12 disciples died too. <laughs> but a lot of these things are happening and instead of being afraid, let it light a fire under you to get ready and to be ready and to pursue peace. Because if you really think Jesus is coming back any day now, you'll live in unity with people. You'll guard yourself against false teaching. You will serve others while you wait. You will get to know Jesus in the most intimate way so that when you are face to face with him and he comes back, he says, welcome, good and faithful servant. I know you. It's not, I never know you. I know you. I could know you. 
in the most intimate way. You took those extra minutes in the morning. You spent your time washing dishes, shooting up prayers and thoughts to God. You worked on getting to know me. When the music didn't sound perfect or it wasn't your style, you still went all out in worship and adoration to Jesus. You took every chance you could to serve those so that they would see Jesus even if you're the only Jesus they ever see. That's well done, my good and faithful service servant, welcome home. That's we live ready. And when we live that way, we can be excited. Revelation 21, right towards the very, very tail end of the Word of God. In a vision that Jesus himself gave John, the only one of the 12 disciples who was not martyred. And it's not for lack of trying. They tried hard. They boiled him in oil alive and he wouldn't die. So what did they do? They just banished him to an island that they banished prisoners at. And while he was banished, he got all this extra silence and solitude time to spend with the Lord. And Jesus himself gave him a vision of what it would be like when Jesus came back. What would be the things leading up to that time? What were notes that he wanted to give the churches to get ready? And at the very end of all of that, this is John speaking. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. It's not even the heaven that all of our loved ones are in right now. There's gonna be a brand new one that we all get to be united in. An even better one, he says, see, I'm going to prepare a place for you. There was a heaven that people are in and were in then, but he was going to make something even bigger and better. A new heaven and a new earth. The Bible says that even the earth, all of creation is groaning with longing for the new creation and the redemption of the world. We sang in joy to the world about the curse that we're all under. We're under this curse, but we're called to bring the new kingdom of God. And as we're bringing it, we're preparing for the full new kingdom of God to come at Jesus' return. It says, the old heaven and the old earth disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. Emmanuel, God with us. He resides with us. Right now, he inhabits the praises of his people. He gives us the Holy Spirit, so our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. These are the way he lives with us. Then he will live with us in the flesh, all of us in our new glorified bodies. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Many times in this season, winter, holidays, there's lots to have tears about. He doesn't say don't have tears. He says, one day there will be a day I wipe away every tear. And until then, I'm collecting every single tear you cry in a bottle. It says that, did you know that? In the word of God, reasons to get into your Bible. He collects every single tear you cry in a bottle up there in his kingdom to remember what brings you heartache. He empathizes with you. He listens to your prayers. He watches you, he cares for you, he comforts you so that you can comfort others. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. No more sickness, no more cancer, no more death, no more dementia, none of this anymore. All these things are gone forever. This is the Jesus of forever. And the one sitting on the throne, Jesus said, look, 
I am making everything new. And then he said to me, to John, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. Remember that phrase on the cross? He says it again, it is finished. I am the alpha and the omega. I am the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I don't know about you, but I'm thirsty for him today. I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings and I will be their God and they will be my children. When it says all who are victorious, we just got through these 21 chapters of basically him describing hell on earth. And in some ways we're living parts of that right now. And honestly, it's only gonna get worse. There's bad news today and there's good news today. <laughs> but not without hope and joy and the promise of this new world where he wipes away every tear and there's no sickness or death forever. And all who are victorious, those who make it through all of this, still in love with him, still gnosko Jesus. All those who are victorious, that even through the hard part, even through what we can't seem to get over, even through the mistakes we repeatedly make, even through the heartache and the grief and the sorrow and the conflict and the why can't I just let this go. Those who are victorious through all of it. Those who are victorious will inherit all these blessings and I will be their God and they will be my children. This sounds like something to look forward to. This sounds like something to be excited about. So when we think, oh, Jesus is coming back. I don't know about that. I'm a little worried about that. We'd probably be getting ourselves in gear. Well, yes, get yourselves in gear, please. But do it so that you can live excited, so that you can live in hope, not a false hope. Hope, according to the Bible, is faith that is the proof of things that we cannot see. It's real, it's evidence. Hope that Jesus gives isn't just wishful thinking. The hope that Jesus gives is factual evidence that there is something true around the corner. And he promises it here. He said specifically, write this down for what I tell you is faithful and trustworthy and true. We can trust him. And if we trust him this much, if we truly do, and if we know him, and if we want to gnosko him, then we gotta get ready. We gotta lean into him. We've gotta know him more. We've gotta pursue that peace. We've gotta do all these things, not to check off a list, but to live a lifestyle that's ready, that's excited, that's ready to go. So that the joy and the hope of Christmas isn't just because it's a cozy holiday that we all love, but so that the hope of Christmas reminds us of the hope still to come. And that's why Jesus came. John 3, 16 and 17, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. I have not come into the world to condemn the world. There should be nothing in this that feels condemning. There might be a little bit of, ooh, I just got some things I gotta get in gear. That's loving conviction. He said, I did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through me. That's what Jesus said, through Jesus. He's here to save us, to give us this hope. Bow your head and close your eyes with me. Jesus, we love you. We praise you for your grace, your hope, your joy, your peace. We praise you for who you are, for your greatness, that you are the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings. But more than anything, 
today we praise you and we thank you and we are so grateful that you are Emmanuel. You are God with us. You are God with us. Thank you for being with us here today. And I pray today that every person in this room wouldn't wait on emotions to make them act, but that they would choose to accept that your presence is in this place. Whether we always feel goosebumps or not, whether we always feel butterflies or not, whatever it is, you are here anyway. And it's up to us to have a level of expectancy that you are meeting us here and to come and meet you. And so I pray today, Jesus, that we would meet you in every way. With everyone's head still bowed and eyes still closed, if you're here today and you know that you need to get your life right with the Lord, not just that a couple of these things were slightly off, but that, hey, I'm not even in a relationship with Jesus. I don't really know him at all. And if that's you today, there's no better time than Christmas time to give your life to him. The reason he came was for you to save you, to give you hope and a future. That's the reason he came. And so if that's you today, I want to give you an opportunity just by the raising of hands. When I count to three, raise your hand. If that's you today and you want to know him, you want to start a relationship today and that hand raise is going to mark the start of something new. So I am making all things new and he's ready to start it in you today. If that's you, one, two, three, raise your hand. If that's you today, thank you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. I want to give another opportunity for those of you who just know you need to do some business with God. Some of this is like, oh, I maybe have some unforgiveness or I'm maybe not careful enough with the input, the false teachings that might be coming in through what I consume. Or I'm not, I'm not, you know, living ready. I'm not living excited even. I don't feel like I can live excited. It wouldn't be safe for me to be excited. And you want to get to a point where you live excited and you know there's something you need to change. If that's you today, I want this all things new to start with you today where you can start this journey to live excited and ready for his return. And if that's you on the count of three, one, two, three, raise your hand. If that's you, you wanna live excited. You have a little more preparing to do and you're gonna live excited for his return. Thank you. Lord Jesus, we thank you today for everyone who's made this decision, whether in their hearts or with the hands raised or whether they're gonna write it down on their card and just turn it in privately later, whatever it is, that you're calling them to do, I pray that they would be obedient to you, that they would follow the joy that you have for them, they would follow the hope that you have for them, that they would be in this time excited for now and for the future that you have for us in store, no matter what may come, that we can live with joy and with hope and with peace and excitement because you are God here with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's stand to our feet. I would encourage you to end this time in prayer with our prayer team. If anything stirred your heart at all for you or someone else, if there's anything just in this season that's heavy on your heart, like it often is in this time for many people, People, go back and receive prayer. That's what we're here to do. This is part of the unity that we share in one another's burdens. And we're going to close out in celebration of the joy that we have in Jesus.